0: to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, I'm Andrew Nicholls. And it's the show, we're doing a review of dual care apartments. What are they and where do you find them? Now, we haven't done a deep dive on these for about a year, so I thought it would be important to update this because these are, these are a unique type of high income property, which we're going to deep dive into. And you've probably noticed this already, but I'm trying to deep dive into each of the different types of properties or products or opportunities, I guess, really, that I'm trying to say, that investors are going for at the moment. So Andrew, for anybody who doesn't remember back to about a year ago, what is a dual-key apartment? So it's kind of the new build equivalent of multi-income properties.
1: So it's the cash flow hack without actually doing any work, I guess. And whilst you might not get a 10% yield, often we kind of work on a five and a half to six and a half percent yield. So you've got two dwellings, but it's on one title. In the instance of apartments, you're buying one apartment that can be divided into two and rented out separately. So you walk into your apartment and often there'll be a common entryway and then there'll be two separate doors to lead you into each of the apartments. And most often we see the configuration, one will be a one bedroom or a two bedroom apartment and the other will be a studio apartment. And what I mean by studio, your bed's in your living room.
0: Now, this is a way to get multiple income streams from the same property, which tends to give that high yield, but we're seeing a bit more variation in these, right? Yeah,
1: so I've come across, and we've started recommending recently, a lot of jewel-key townhouses. So, this is a bit different because you've actually got a standalone or an adjoining townhouse, but you've got the same concept. You're buying maybe upstairs has got a one bedroom or a two bedroom unit, and downstairs will have a studio unit or maybe a smaller one bedroom unit. And the great thing here is you're getting a townhouse, so you could expect similar growth to a townhouse, but you're getting a much higher income than you would if you're just buying
0: an individual townhouse. Well, we'll come back to the capital growth because I'm going to berate to you about that. <laughs> oh, of course, But yeah. I, my understanding is there are a lot of developers who have attempted to sell commercial slash residential. So a commercial unit on the bottom and then say a townhouse above, yeah. the, above the commercial unit. So often those you'll have like a warehouse
1: type of thing. So you basically have somewhere where you can store stock or or a couple of cars and a jet ski. And then upstairs you have have your residential. Now, they've never been, in my mind, a fantastic investment. I know we've done some podcasts on them. They're not my cup of tea at all. But actually, some some developers that we work with at Faisandia Group, they had this concept. And we said, well, why don't you just do them all as, they they had either that, or you could just have them as a residential unit. Why don't we just do them as residential? And they went like hotcakes.
0: Yeah, it does seem like investors are a bit nervous about having the commercial slash residential. But actually, if you just made it two separate residential dwellings, they'd be fine with it. So let's dig into what do some of these things cost? And what's important to say from the outset is if you buy a dual key anything, it's likely to be more expensive, and by that I mean it's going to cost you more money to invest in this, versus a single dwelling. And that's because you've got two dwellings instead of one. So for instance, in Auckland, usually we're seeing dual key apartments somewhere between 900k up to 1.3 mil, depending on whereabouts you're investing Now, that is clearly more expensive or it costs you more money than if you would just buy a single one bedroom apartment. But you've just got to factor in the fact that you're getting two dwellings instead of one. For instance, those Wellington dual-key townhouses Andrew just talked about, those were kind of 779k up to 800k. But again, there are two one-bedroom apartments stacked on top of one another. Yeah. A Christchurch dual-key townhouse, for instance, I'll tell you about, was 799. That was the studio apartment on the bottom, but then a two-bedroom townhouse above. But while you need to have more money to buy one of these things compared to just buying one dwelling, often they are cheaper or they're less expensive than buying the two dwellings separately. So for instance, let's take Auckland as an example. I saw a dual key so it was a one bed plus a studio in Ellerslie for 915k. Now, if you were to buy those two apartments separately, it would have cost you 1.15 mil in the same building. So there's about a 200k difference if buying the dual key rather than buying them separately. And then similarly, take that Christchurch example of the 800k, which was a two bed townhouse and a studio. I'm estimating if you bought them separately, it'd probably cost you about 825, about yep. 625k for the townhouse, maybe 400k for the studio. Yeah, Am I, I that's off? reasonable, yeah. Yeah, okay, great. Because I made those up and thought, and yeah. it was like, that's Andrew, right. tell me if I'm off my head. Yeah. So probably about a difference of about 225k there. Now, one thing that I haven't been able to get my head around, Andrew, is why would that be the case? Why would buying dual key be cheaper than buying the equivalent separately? Well, I guess there's efficiencies in the build. Like, I suppose if you're doing multiple units,
1: you, you have efficiencies anyway, but if you're doing one unit and then you just use the same amount of space or a little bit of extra space than you would use in a normal townhouse, but just put in an extra kitchen, an extra bathroom, or kitchenette, so often with keys, your kitchen for the minor dwelling will just be very basic. It'll be a dishwasher, it'll be a sink, you won't have an oven or anything like that. That can often and bring down the cost
0: of consents and stuff like that. Plus, of course, not putting those things in. So, are they smaller in that case if they don't take much yeah, more area? Generally. Yeah, okay. So they might be smaller than the equivalent sort of property, yeah. depending on which situation it is. So, what sort of yield and cash flow are we expecting to see? When I'm negotiating this with developers, my target yield minimum would be
1: five and a half, and kind of I'm looking upwards to kind of six and a half. So, 6% is general. I do see a lot which are less than that, in which case we just walk away. It's not for us. But, you know, if you've got a five and a half percent gross yield and interest rates are five to 5.25, then there's only a small margin to cover your operating costs because at if- gross yield and 5.25 going to interest, you've only got 0.25% to go towards you paying your operating costs, your rates, your insurance, your property management, all the rest of it. So you might still be topping up for what is a high yielding property.
0: But that's only in the short
1: term. And that's one thing that we're we're going to think about. So right now, interest rates are a lot higher than we thought they were going to be at this stage. And whilst we're expecting them to kind of get up around this, that's happening sooner. So they'll come down in time. But we need to be thinking about, well, if there's a contribution now, how do we get through that period of time so that we can get that positive
0: cash flow in the next few years? And I think we've just done a podcast on that maybe yesterday, yeah. actually, about managing top ups. Now, one thing that's important to just note is I ran a cash flow on a dual key the other day that I was considering investing in. And I think that the average top up, it was going to be positively geared from year four onwards, I think. And for the first three years, it was about $48, $50 a week that I'd need to put in in order to be able to purchase that. So while the the cash flow has changed for what we'd typically think of as a yield property, it is less than what an equivalent growth property would be. Hey, I want to talk about the resale market, because obviously, dual keys are a very specific type of property, right? You're buying two dwellings in one. And while some people like to buy home and incomes, they like to buy a property that they can live in, and then it's got a rental income as well, so they can pay down the mortgage. It is a bit more of a limited resale market compared to if you were to buy a three-bedroom standalone property, which Anybody would go and live in with their family, or a three bedroom townhouse, for instance, that more or less anybody could move into. But there is a growing resale market for these. One, because they're becoming more popular, we're seeing more of them. But similarly, we're also seeing probably more multi generational families here in New Zealand. You might, for instance, have grandma or grandpa live in the studio part of the townhouse while you have the main family or the larger family living in the other part of it. It's also, let's say, if you've got a teenager who you kind of want to be- Don't like enough to have them in the house. (laughs) Pretty much. Well, Andrew, you did get kicked out into the granny flat at one stage, if I remember right from your story. But there was also a really good example on the deal back when we did our TV show of an elderly lady who purchased a dual care apartment because she wanted to live independently, didn't want to go to a retirement home, but needed a full-time carer. So the full-time carer lived in the studio part when she was on call. And then the elderly lady was able to live somewhat independently in her own part of that apartment. So while again, the resale market's not going to be as hot or the same for a standalone house, I still think that it will grow over time and will improve as we see more and more of these built. But that does mean that it may take, I don't have any stats on this, I'm assuming this would be the case, as it's probably going to take you longer to sell one of these properties compared to an equivalent standalone or townhouse. Now let's come back to that capital growth argument, Andrew. And yeah, I, like I need that to you're have pre, you. are
1: preempting an argument.
0: I just know there's going to be one. Oh yeah, well, that's well. you're off your head. Okay, so let's talk about dual apartments because that's an
1: easy one. It's an apartment. It's going to get less capital growth. I don't think there's any room for debate on this. Oh, there'd be some developers who'd try and argue the uh, case, yeah, but well, they, no, they can they can realise their place. Right. <laughs> let's talk about dual key townhouses, though. This is the one that Ed and I have come to blows over because I think well, it's a townhouse. It is going going to get pretty much the same capital growth as a normal townhouse. Now, Ed, I can see your little smirk. You're such a a little condescending smirk going on on your face. So
0: go ahead, tell me what you think, and then I'll have a debate. I just don't see how it'd be possible that we usually predict or we forecast that a townhouse in somewhere like Christchurch will get 5% capital growth, pretty conservative, But you know, if you're saying that a regular townhouse is going to increase at 5% per year, I just don't see how you can say that we've got what we've both agreed is a more Limited uh-huh. market. I like how you've gone in for this as
1: your argument. We've both agreed this. We do exactly what you're I can for. rewind
0: the audio and, and <laughs> tell you exactly what you said. You said, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's going to have a more limited resale market. And then over here, oh, but it's going to grow at the same amount. Well, I have a trick up my sleeve, Edward. Yeah, what have is it? Se- have you finished your piece? Yeah, okay. I right. just want to see what's up your right. sleeve. So,
1: Faisandia, who we were talking about before, who have got these townhouses in Wellington, that you made me go against my better judgment and discount that capital growth rate.
0: What did we discount
1: it to? We discount it, I can't remember. I think it was 4.25. 4. Yeah, I yeah. well, see, See, so you know. Anyway, turns out you can convert these back to a regular townhouse like that. Well, what is like- well, like, that say for $5,000, you can convert that into a regular townhouse.
0: How? How are you going to do that when you've got a kitchen upstairs, I don't know. kitchen do downstairs? I look like Bob the Builder. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you can change it back to a regular. That sounds like some sort of <laughs> conversation you'd have over a couple of wires with a developer and then come back repeating <laughs> it was a, it like it's was gospel. A, it was a beer. Yeah, okay. All right, so we use a slightly lower disc. Uh, I think you s- have to, because if you think that these are don't typically purchased. Pertur- oh, don't mock me for this, Andrew. <laughs> You're just showing off in front of all your podcast friends now because these are going to be typically purchased by investors or by some people in some specific situations. And so I think that if the market is primarily going to be an investor, they're going to be valued based on the yield that they yes. get over time. So I think discounting it is probably appropriate. So I'm happy that you've agreed with me on this. Now, come on, let's talk about the case study, though, where you've actually had somebody purchase oh, this, into a dual You are key. just trying
1: to hurt me in this episode. So a friend of mine did buy one of the Dixon Apartments, DXN, on Dixon Street, based in Wellington, Central Wellington. And this, I'd signed up for myself, and then I nominated the contract to her because I was trying to be a good friend. Anyway, the purchase price was $525,000. The construction took four years, which is not uncommon for apartment complexes of this size to be delayed. The final valuation was $840,000. $840,000. in the rent, we budgeted on 650 per week for the two units. When we first did the numbers, it came out at $950 a week once it was finished. Anyway, the appreciation on that was 10.8% per year compounding. Average appreciation in Wellington for the same period was 12.2. So it was still
0: less. It was great, but it was still less than what the overall market was. Now, one of the difficulties here, though, is that some of that uplift in value would come from the fact that it was bought off the plans. And typically, we talk about on the show that once a property is built, i.e. it's no longer on paper, it tends to get a wee bit of equity uplift. So we can't figure out, well, which part of that uplift was down to the fact that it was built now and which part was due to market appreciation. But we can see that, look, there is some discount, there's some lesser amount. Now- while you've got to say, Jilke apartments, hey, they do increase in value, but it's just at a slower rate than the rest of the market. Now, one last thing I want to talk about is how do the banks? treat these sorts of properties. Now, because they are a
1: unique product where there might be a more limited market for the resale, some banks require you to have more usable equity or cash deposit when you're purchasing these. The reason a bank asks for a 20% deposit or a 10% deposit for your 1st home buyers, because if they have to sell you up because you've stopped paying your mortgage, they want to know that they're going to get their money back, and there's some fat in there. With a unique product, uh, an as-is property, uh, a jockey apartment, sometimes properties of major values... Something that's unique often requires a higher deposit, and some banks for dual keys require a 50% deposit, or usable equity, so
0: that they've got that added level of protection. So how do you get around that if you want to buy these with a 20% deposit?
1: You could either go to a non-bank lender, you could talk to a non-bank lender, some non-bank lenders are pretty specific that they don't take these on, or... You just have to try with a bank that does allow you to, but you might
0: have to wait as the other option. Is this a bit case-by-case basis? Absolutely. So like the ones where your friend with the 525 in Wellington, did she have to put in a... 50% 50% deposit? Well, she didn't, but she was a first home buyer, so I think
1: her bank allowed them to do it. Oh, actually, sorry, no, 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 no. Her parents actually guaranteed that difference between her cash deposit and what the usable equity is
0: sh- she needed. To and do. what about those tan houses we talked about in Wainui, Amata yeah, and so Wellington? I think they've been about 50-50 in terms of banks that will lend 80% and banks that will require 50%. Okay, so half the investors purchased with a 20% deposit, half the investors have had to put up more of their home as collateral. Yeah. Let's come down and talk about who these would be right for, who these would be wrong for. So I think there are two situations where these are a really good fit. The first is if you're trying to create a wealth wheel, so you've purchased a couple of growth properties and when you're needing the cash flow to supplement it. Now bear in mind that we did just talk about that in a higher interest rate environment, these actually might require a contribution. So in the short term these might not be appropriate for creating a wealth wheel if you really are looking for the cash flow. Similarly, if you're looking to purchase a property that requires a lower top up, a lower contribution, then hey, these could be a good fit. But where these really shine is in our classic standard property investment strategy, where you invest in some properties, they increase in value, you make some equity, and then when you're wanting to build that passive income. When you're wanting to step away from work, you sell up those properties and you invest in what we call high yielding properties. These are the sorts of things that a a 60-year-old, or 65-year-old could potentially be buying with large cash deposits so that they then have a rental income that they can live off. That's kind of the standard place where you'd really see these start to shine. Who would these be the wrong fit for though, Andrew. Or well,
1: any cash flow hackers out there, so if you're planning on renovating a property, again, you don't buy a new property, so it's not for you. People who really want to be focused on growth assets. So if your MO is to buy growth properties now, so you're buying two growth and then a yield, they're not right for you right now. Wait till you get to the yield piece. And also people that can't afford it. Because you are buying a greater value product because you're getting two for the price of one and
0: a half, if you've got a tight budget, they're probably not right for you either fantastic let's wrap it up there but please don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the property academy podcast really does help us get the message out to more people and take Come along to our webinar. It's happening on Tuesday, the 10th of May at 7pm. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have a live studio audience at this one. First time we've ever done that. We're going to be sharing with you the six strategies you can use to help get investor ready in order to get the bank to be more likely to say yes for your first or your next investment property. So links down to the show notes, tap or swipe over the cover art. It's in there. Or just go to our website, opuspartners.co.nz. for listening to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ebert Knight. I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.